Well, today we're going to get back into Isaiah 53 and keep moving through this passage. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open it up. Uh, before I start, uh, just as a before I get into it, I guess we'll go ahead and read the read the text. But um, let's go to Isaiah 52 and start in verse 13. If you remember, I said I thought that 52 and 13 was the start of chapter 53. I think they got the chapter divisions in the wrong place here. But so if you got them, open them up. Isaiah 52. We'll start in verse 13, and we're going to read all the way through 53. Isaiah 52 and verse 13 says, "See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were appalled at you, his appearance was so disfigured." that he he did not even look like a man. And his form did not resemble a human being, so he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths because of him, for they will see what had not been told them, and they will understand what they had not heard. Chapter 53. Who has believed what we have heard, and who has the arm of Yahweh been revealed to? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or splendor that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like one people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by the Almighty and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds we all went away like sheep we all have turned to our own way and Yahweh has punished him for the iniquity of us all he was oppressed and afflicted yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shears he did not open his mouth he was taken away because of oppression and judgment and who considered his fate For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. They made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man at his death, although he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Yet Yahweh was pleased to crush him, and he made him sick. When you make him a restitution offering, he will see his seed, he will prolong his days, and the will of Yahweh will succeed in his hand, or by his hand. He will see it out of his... Out of his anguish, and he will be satisfied with his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry the iniquities, their iniquities. Therefore I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mightiest spoil, because he submitted himself to death, and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sins of many, and interceded for the rebels. I don't really have a long sermon today not a long message but there are about three different points that i want to touch on and i want to focus on verses four through six and kind of go over them in detail one by one but before i do let me say this that isaiah 53 is kind of a it's kind of broken into stanzas okay and as we read through the chapter you may have noticed that and you may have picked up where they're at but the last three verses of chapter 52 verses 13 14 and 15 that's the first stanza and I would say chapter 53, verses 1 through 3 is the second stanza. Verses 4 through 6 would be the third. Verses 7 through 9 would be the fourth. And 10 through 12 would be the final or the fifth stanza. Now that doesn't really matter. It's not that important. It's not, uh, 
you know, necessary that you know that, but it is how I've decided to break up the chapter and to teach it three verses at a time. So up until now, we've discussed a few things in the prophecy about the nation of Israel. The end of chapter 52, we discussed Yahweh's promise to Israel about his suffering servant along the lines that he would serve Yahweh as a slave. Okay, He would suffer greatly. He would startle many nations. And in doing so, because of all of his suffering, he would be greatly exalted. Then the last time I taught, we went, uh, went over the first three verses of chapter 53, and we talked about the confession that Israel would make on this great sorrowful day of repentance. And I believe it will truly be a sorrowful day. Whenever that day comes, it will be sorrowful for the ones who are repenting and, and making this confession. We learned that this is a national confession of the Jewish people. We looked at their at the recognition of what they have missed as a whole, missing the Messiah and his coming. The nation of Israel or the house of Judah particularly didn't believe the message and the prophets that had been sent to them in the past. Old Jerusalem, the city who kills the prophets. They didn't believe the promise of the coming Messiah. They believed in a Messiah. They definitely believed in that. But they did they believed in a great deliverer who would um get rid of their earthly troubles. Some, something maybe like Moses. They thought of a Moses that would come, somebody that would deliver them from an earthly bondage like Moses delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians. They didn't recognize the spiritual Savior that was sent to them for the removal of their spiritual bondage, and that's where they missed it. Even though Yahweh's power was, was made known through him or through Yeshua and his power over the demons, over earthly sickness, over ailments, over nature, and all things logical, they still didn't believe that he was the Messiah. Yeshua healed the blind. He caused the lame to walk. He raised the dead. He turned the water into wine. He walked on the water. He calmed the sea. He had a lot to do with water, didn't he? He calmed the seas, and he even defeated death. He did all that, but they didn't recognize the right arm of Yahweh. They didn't believe that it was the power of Yahweh at work. And they also considered him a nobody from Nazareth. Remember in verse 2, he had no stately form about him. He had no royal birth. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a scribe. He wasn't a king, not a Pharisee, nor a Sadducee. He ran around with a bunch of ragtag fishermen and tax collectors, mostly from Galilee. He wasn't part of the elite social group at that time, and neither were his parents. They were common people who lived simple, common lives. Yeshua was born in a stable. His birth was accompanied or attended by shepherds, the lowest people on the social ladder. He wasn't exalted like a king would be or would have been coming into the world, at least an earthly king. It says he has no great appearance that anyone should look at him. I take that to mean that he wasn't tall and attractive like maybe Saul was when he was picked as king. I think Yeshua was common. He was an ordinary-looking man. I don't believe that he was ugly. I just don't think that he was some Fabio or Romeo-looking fella. Verse 3 says that he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. I believe that he was associated with grief. He bore the burden of the people. I believe when Israel suffered, Yeshua also suffered in concern for the welfare of his people. I think he was, sad, he was sad and afflicted in his heart because of the separation that Israel had brought upon themselves. 
he says that so many times in the gospel, he says that so many times that he wanted to gather Israel as a hen gathers her chicks, but they weren't willing. They weren't willing. Oh, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets. He could see their anguish and he could feel their pain. He was a man who knew what sickness was. And then the second part of verse 3, I believe, points to his crucifixion. He was like one people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. I think that is a reference to the destruction of his body as it goes back to chapter 52 and verse 14 where he was so disfigured that he didn't even look like a man. So not only was he a nobody so that no one paid him any attention, but he also had a very embarrassing death and a horrible, horrid crucifixion. Now what kind of king would endure such things? Kings were of noble birth. They um, lived exalted lives. They impacted the world with highly regarded political views and strategies, maybe war strategies, things of that nature. And they would have had honorable deaths and very stately burials. Very stately. Yeshua exhibited none of these. None of that was applied to him. He was a common man of suffering, of no royal birth, and he had a terrible ending. So you may see why the Jews didn't recognize him as the Messiah. When we think of kings today, we would view things the same way, I think. I think about maybe the Queen of England. She would be pretty highly exalted. They would make a big deal when she dies, things of that nature. And to be quite honest, if Yeshua walked in here today, it's very possible that we wouldn't we wouldn't welcome him into our world either. I'm not sure about you, but if I'm being honest, I doubt that Yeshua would be someone that I would gravitate towards or want to hang out with if he just come in here unannounced. That's the sinful nature that lives within me and probably most of the people in the world, if we can be honest. If we could be honest. It's supposed to be that the more we become like Christ, the more separated from the world we become and the more different we should be. And to the worldly audience, that's not attractive at all. That's not attractive at all. As a matter of fact, it's probably weird and somewhat repulsive to the rest of the world. Yeshua wasn't mean that people should not like him. He wasn't a liar that people couldn't trust him. He wasn't, he wasn't beautiful that he made people around him feel insignificant. He wasn't prideful. He wasn't jealous. He wasn't filled with greed and he, that he devised schemes against people. No, brothers and sisters, he was perfect. He was absolutely perfect in every way. He loved with pure love. He served with the greatest effort. He catered to the widows and the orphans. He helped the sick. He made the blind to see. He raised the dead. And he worshipped his father with the purest of heart. And they killed him for it. They killed him for it. And I'm not so sure that we wouldn't have done the exact same thing. See, folks, what we set as a standard for a good person today is probably right the opposite of what Yahweh considers good. And that's precisely what happened with the nation of Israel or the Jewish people of that day. They had developed their own standard of prideful righteousness and piety. So when genuine righteousness and perfection came their way, they couldn't see it. They couldn't detect it. As a matter of fact, they saw it as weird and as foreign like we might today had it happen. And instead of, instead of evaluating ourselves or instead of them evaluating themselves and seeing what they had done wrong or where they might have been wrong, they removed the perfect example of Yahweh's design so that they didn't have to compare themselves to it. They got rid of it. So with that being said, I ask you to 
I ask you, do we do the same thing? Do we see somebody who is meek, humble, full of mercy, kind, loving, gentle, and a servant of Yahweh, but then reject them just because they're foreign to us? When somebody comes into this church, is that what we do? When we somebody that, see somebody that doesn't look just like we do, or dress just like we do, is that what we do? And are they foreign to us because they don't speak the cool lingo, or wear the nicest clothes, or drive the newest cars, or hang out with the cool people? I would like to say that I wouldn't, but the truth is, I probably would, if I'm being honest. And so ask yourselves this, if Yeshua walked in here as a common man, without a halo around his head, illuminating his life, showing you who he really is, if he come in here in a simple robe, with sandals on his feet, not a pair of Levi's and Nike tennis shoes, with a belt girding his tunic, and I'm not talking about a Gucci belt, just a belt, girding his tunic, with a long beard and maybe disheveled hair, and he didn't cut up and go along with the latest fads, and all he wanted to talk about was his father's will, would you want to leave here with him today and go to a restaurant? Would you invite him to go? Is he the guy that you'd say, get in the car and let's, let's go out to eat? Or would he be the guy that you would try not to be seen with? And I believe if you're honest with yourself, you'll be appalled at the answer. <clears throat> I believe that we wouldn't want to be seen with him because we tend to draw close to those who look like us, who act like us, who we have stuff in common with. We don't look for pure righteous people to be our friends or to interact with. We find people who are like-minded to be our company. People who are just like us. And so was the nation of Israel. They were the same people. And for this reason, they missed it because he wasn't what they expected. But one day they'll realize that they have rejected the Son of Yahweh and they'll confess so remorsefully that they've done so. So that brings us to verse 4. So far, they've given us an excuse of why they rejected him. But now they'll start to confess how perfect he was and realize what he had done for them. Let's go ahead and read verse 4. It says, Yet he himself bore our sickness, and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by Yahweh, and afflicted. This is the recognition. Yet he himself bore our sickness, and he carried our pain. They recognize that. Oh my, is what they say. He carried our sins away, and they bore, and he bore our pain. They realized that. They realized that they were wrong. The penalty that was due us was placed on him. Folks, the confession gets real at this point. This is, this is real confession. They're saying, now we see. We didn't see. We didn't understand, but now we understand. Everything he died for was because of us. All that was due us, he carried for us, and he died with it. But here's their excuse. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by Yahweh, and afflicted by Yahweh. So in their confession, they realized that he was killed on account of their sins. There's no problem there. However, they couldn't see that at the time. All right? They were so wrapped up in their man-made religion that they thought Yahweh was punishing him because of his disobedience. Yeshua never sinned, right? right? We know that. We have multiple verses that say that all throughout the Scriptures, all throughout the Bible. There was no guile found in His mouth. For crying out loud, we even see it right here in this chapter. In verse 9, it says, Although He had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. So we know that Yeshua is not at fault. He didn't sin. But they thought He was struck down by Yahweh. For what? 
They thought he was a sinner. That's really what they thought had happened. They thought this because of the man-made laws that he had broken. Their laws, their traditions. That's why they thought he was a sinner. They thought he broke the Sabbath and taught others to do so. We remember that he healed a man on the Sabbath and they questioned him for it. He didn't rebuke his disciples for picking grain in the grain field to eat on the Sabbath and they rebuked him for that. They thought he broke the cleanliness laws in Mark chapter 7 and Matthew chapter 15 when he didn't rebuke his disciples for not participating in the traditional hand washings rituals. They constantly questioned about questioned him about various traditions that he didn't hold on to or didn't hold to. And he constantly rebuked the leaders of Jerusalem for their man-made traditions that they held in higher regard than Yahweh's law. Yes. So they were in huge disagreement with one another about what sin really was and what a man should do to be right with Yahweh. Wow. Big disagreement. Obviously, obviously, Yeshua was the perfect example of the living Torah. Sure. He was doing it right. The Pharisees, Sadducees, and the leaders of Jerusalem had it wrong. But because the Jewish people had developed a standard of their own, they assumed he was in error when he didn't comply. And for this reason, they thought Yahweh killed him for for breaking the rules, for being a blasphemer. That's what verse 4 is talking about. The Jews regarded him as stricken and struck down by Yahweh because they misunderstood that he was there bearing their own guilt and their sin. He was living the righteous life as an example for the people of Israel and the nation of Israel, the people of Jerusalem. But they couldn't see it. All they could see is that he was breaking the traditions of the elders. Let's look at verse 5. It says, But he was pierced because of our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. Here we go again. We thought... Yahweh killed him because of his sins. But now we see. Now we see that he was killed for our transgressions. A little more confirmation. A little more recognition. They are understanding that that they killed the only begotten son of Yahweh. The word crushed here in the Hebrew is the word to call or dalkal. I don't know how you say it, but something like that. And it literally means to break into pieces or to destroy. He was annihilated for the sins of us all. Not just Israel. Not just Jerusalem, not the people of Judah. He was annihilated for all of us. The perfect lamb, the one that had done no wrong, he paid a price. He paid the ransom for us because we couldn't pay it. Amen. He was destroyed from the face of the earth, not, not for his own doings, but because of yours and mine, everybody that sits in here. And the ones making this confession now see that. And then they say, punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. I want to spend a little time here because there's a lot in this verse, number one. And number two, because this is a verse that's used very loosely in churches today. And it's used in a way that just gives people false hope. And I don't like it. So first let me say this. The verse is so very true. So very, very true. And confirms the promises of our eternal salvation. And that's a great thing. Okay, He was, he was punished. And his wounds will heal us. Punishment for our peace or our shalom. We're familiar with that word. That word peace right there is the Hebrew word shalom. Punishment for our shalom was on him. Okay, The punishment that every man deserves because of our own sin was placed on Yeshua. What he received in our place was what we should have received. And we didn't. And by his wounds we are healed. Meaning that the wounds and the crushing and the bruising that was given to him 
at his crucifixion has healed everybody who believes in him, both past, present, and future, spiritually, spiritually. I hope you understand that. I don't want anyone to mistake that that's not a true prophecy or not a true statement because it really is. We are spiritually healed by his wounds. When Yeshua suffered unjustly at the torture stake, he carried with him our punishment in his body, and we have been healed. But I want to point out specifically what this verse does not mean. That by his wounds, our physical bodies will also be healed as long as we claim it. That is not what it means. It does not mean that you will have physical healing because he has, have, has, has underwent punishment. That's not what it means. This, this verse has nothing to do with physical ailments that human bodies experience throughout the course of life. But it seems to be a verse commonly quoted today by faith healing teachers all over the world. A lot of the word faith charismatic teachers routinely claim that Isaiah 53 and verse 5 is a proof text that ensures the physical healing that or that physical healing is inherent in the atoning work of Yeshua. For example, Joseph Prince argues that physical healing is the right of all believers, something they can simply confess into reality. Here's a quote from Joseph Prince. But what came on Jesus was not just the whip stripping flesh off his bare back, but your sickness and disease. Each time he was whipped, every form of sickness and disease, including arthritis, cancer, diabetes, bird flu, and various fevers, came upon him. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Today healing is your right because Jesus has paid the price for your healing. So if the devil says you cannot be healed, just declare Jesus has paid for my healing. Disease has no right to be in my body. I am healed in Jesus' name. Every curse of sickness that was supposed to fall on you fell on Jesus instead. He bore every one of those stripes so that you can walk, walk in divine health all the days of your life. The price has been paid so that you can rise up and get out of your bed of affliction. End of quote. It's pathetic. It's pathetic. Now that might sound good to a lot of untrained ears, but as people, as Bible students, I guess, and people of the Scriptures, we should be able to blow that to bits if we only know the Scriptures. Prince's view of atonement is really only one of potential atonement. It doesn't really deliver you from sickness, but really it just gives you the ability to rise up and get up out of your bed of affliction. It's limited. It's limited. And furthermore, how do you activate this healing? How do you cause that to come into play? What do you do? Do you pray a certain prayer? Do you walk down a certain aisle? Do you sprinkle certain water on you? How do you do that? How do you cause that to come into play? Well, Joyce... Joyce Myers has the answer to that. I'd like for you to listen to her quote, or her her answer. And I quote, How do you stand against sickness? Question mark. For starters, you plead the blood of Jesus against sickness in every part of your body. Your immune system, your organs, your blood cells, and so on. Then speak the word over your whole body. You can pray like this. Father, I believe it's your will that I be in health. I believe that by the stripes of Jesus, Jesus, I am healed. Your word is health and life to my body, and it will accomplish that which you please and purpose. End of quote. So according to Joyce Myers, healing is a right that we all have. You just must have faith to accomplish it. 
It's basically been provided to all believers. You just really need to claim it. That's all you got to do. Folks, that's a cruel doctrine to inflict on Christians who have actually sought healing through prayer and fasting. But because of Yahweh's will, they continue to live in a wheelchair on a respirator. That's a cruel doctrine. Cruel doctrine. I've had cancer for two years, folks. And I've dealt with overwhelming circumstances. Overwhelming. But that never gave me the right to claim that I should be healed because Yeshua bore stripes. Didn't give me the right. No way. Only in Yahweh's timing and according to Yahweh's will was I healed. He healed me. I don't have cancer anymore. Thankful for it. But but only by His will. I'm not healed because I finally claimed it. I'm healed because Yahweh chose to deliver me from my affliction in His timing. He did that. The crazy belief that Yeshua's physical suffering somehow guarantees our physical healing in this life isn't just an abuse and a misuse of Scripture. It's also a form of spiritual torture to those who sit under such teaching. It's an incredible lie that has left many churchgoers disappointed with the gospel. They assume that if they believe, they'll live a life of perfect health. It's not true. That's not true. See, we're not to grasp at physical provisions for the here and now. That's not the idea, even in health. But we should long for the spiritual healing in the everlasting. That's the idea. And that's precisely what His wounds healed us from. That's precisely what they did. Spiritual death. They took that away. Now the fact that everyone dies in their physical body should be evidence that that's not the way this is to be rendered. Lazarus. He was raised from the grave, but he went on to die. And everybody dies from something. Nobody just ceases to exist. Everybody dies from something. Some people say, well, they died of old age. Well, that's something. He didn't just, they didn't just stop dying. And everyone suffers at times in their lives from earthly ailments. But here are a couple of examples of righteous men who would have known how to claim it if you could just claim it. Here's a couple of examples of righteous men that didn't choose to claim it. I want you to take into consideration Paul when he left Trophimus behind because of illness in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 20. Or when Paul told Timothy to drink a little wine with his water to settle his stomach in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 23. I wonder why he didn't just tell Timothy to claim it. All you got to do is claim it. Have faith, Timothy. It'll go away. He didn't say that. Also, Epaphroditus got so sick that he almost died in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 25 through 27. And the list goes on and on and on and on. Paul was shipwrecked. He was sick. He was beaten. He was drug out left of the left out of the side of the synagogues and the cities for dead. Mm-hmm. It goes on and on and on. All these people, they never claimed it. They just suffered. They suffered. It's part of it. So obviously that's not what Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5 is teaching. That's not the point. So what does it mean exactly? Well, let's look at one of the elders of the church and let's see how he understood it. If you would, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 and um, verse 24. You can go back in your time and read this if you want to. It's talking about the whole context. It's talking about being submissive to, to your masters and things of that nature. But in verse 24, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, it says... He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sin, 
we might live for righteousness. By his wound, wounding, you have been healed. Peter describes the death to sin and becoming alive to righteousness as the healing. Nothing in the context here supports any physical healing. Doesn't have anything to do with having sickness wiped away whatsoever. Physical healing for all who believe does not result from Yeshua's atoning work. That's not the way that works. However, it is promised. Physical healing is promised and awaits a future time as recorded in 1 Corinthians 15 and Revelation Amen. chapter 21 and verse 4. There is a physical healing in the future. So can a person be healed? Absolutely. Is it because Yeshua was wounded on the torture stake? Absolutely not. That's not the truth. All right, let's move on into verse 6. We'll kind of wrap this up. In verse 6 of Isaiah 53, it says, We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way, and Yahweh has punished him for the iniquity of us all. Again, they're confessing their disobedience. Not so much this time in unbelief. They're not saying that they didn't believe this time, or they're not even saying that they didn't recognize the Savior this time. This time, they blame it on their nature. They blame it on their nature. They still confess that they were wrong, and because of their error, He was crucified. But they kind of point to a sinful nature, right? We all went astray like sheep. Then they say, we all have turned to our own way, meaning their nature is like that of a sheep. And they're right. And they're right. Sheep by nature go their own way. They're kind of loners. They stray away a lot. They don't always stay together. Hence the reason for a shepherd. That's the reason the shepherd's there. They're reluctant to pay attention. And so they're easy targets for predators. Well, we as Yahweh's children, just like the nation of Israel, we do the exact same thing. We stray from the shepherd. Hence the reason for a moral and spiritual fence that Yahweh has protected us with called the Torah. That's what he's done is put a fence around his flock to protect us. Yahweh has protected his flock with a set of guidelines and provisions for not only our protection, but also for the sanctification and the holiness of his church. That's all for our protection. Now, unfortunately, since the fall of Adam, we are bound to a sinful nature that causes us to stray and to wander away from our shepherd just like sheep do. And when we do this, it's considered a sin or iniquity to Yahweh the shepherd. When we wander from his commands and go our own way and follow the desires of our flesh, we are then in transgression of Yahweh's law and we fall subject unto another master. And you can't serve two of them. You can only serve one. We have one shepherd. However, in verse 6, Isaiah says that Yahweh has punished him, meaning Yeshua, for all of our sins. He caused him who knew no sin to become sin for us all so that we might become the righteousness of Yahweh in him. See, folks, this is a confession that must be a reality to all of us. It's not just Israel's confession. We all have to recognize that we have a sinful nature and that like sheep we have gone astray. And then, except for Yahweh's Son, we perish. Apart from Yahweh's only begotten Son, we stand helpless looking down a long, dark road. Everyone knows. But because of His perfect life and obedience to Yahweh, we have been bought with a valuable price. That we might have eternal life. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Aren't you thankful that the price has already been paid? So thankful for the atoning work of Yahweh's only begotten Son. 
The next time that I teach, we're going to get into the oppression of the Messiah or the oppression of the servant. I'll be, uh, it'll be somewhat gloomy, the, the message, I'm sure. This whole chapter is somewhat gloomy. It's kind of a, it's a sad day. This is not something that's fun. That's right. this, is, this is a realization and a recognition of your faults. And so it's sad. It's sad to realize that that the nation of Israel or the people of Jerusalem of that day destroyed the only begotten Son of Yahweh. They killed what was sent to them as a Savior. Yeah. It's sad. So until I preach again or until I teach again, go with Yahweh and study your Bible and um, reflect on the inheritance that we have. We have a great inheritance through the Son of Yahweh. And um, He sent us a Savior. It's a great thing. It's a great thing. As wicked as we are and as bad as it gets, we've been bought with a precious price. Know this, that everybody that makes it to the kingdom is a sinner just like you are. Every one of them. There's nobody that's just going to get in there on their own accord. We've all fallen short of the glory of Yahweh. So we're not in this alone. However, we all need a Savior. And for that reason, we continue to strive and we believe in Yahweh's only begotten Son.